chapter 11 in the book of Job. And let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have gathered together, Lord. We ask that you would bless it, move in our hearts and our midst, and Lord, continue to do great things that you do, Father, in your word uh, as we hold it open on our laps this evening. Father, just bless this time. Do again the powerful work that you do as we look into your word, Father. Just again, move by your spirit in our midst, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in Job chapter 11, and you know, uh, we're halfway through our end times prophecy update on Sunday, and so Carl's blessing us will be in the third um, of the four uh, Sunday morning special messages um, this Sunday, so I encourage you guys to come out and join us for that, and then um, um, I know there was something else I was going to say, and it's just slipping my mind right now, so... Um, Anyway, oh, Operation Christmas Child is coming up as well, um, so just to keep that in your back of your minds, and also uh, the Biker Church is going to be blessing the Wheelock home again, and so that is uh, coming up in December as well. So um, some of the things we have planned for, you know, blessing others during the time uh, of Christmas and, uh, you know, just showing the blessings that we have um, in Jesus, and we just share that love with those that don't have much or anything or just, you know, need to be reminded and, and loved or lifted up or just blessed in some way. And so uh, just kind of mark those in your mind and they're, they're coming up here pretty quickly. So and then again, Sunday is our third um, part of the four part prophecy and end times update. All right. Well, hopefully you made your way to Job chapter 11. Um we have been kind of going through kind of a quicker pace than we normally would take through the chapters, um, but we are find ourselves with Job. And again, you know, we have insight that Job and his friends never had. You know, the Lord pulls back the curtain of heaven and we get to see what was going on between, you know, God and, and, and the devil and him accusing uh, Job of just being a gold digger, a mercenary. He was all you know, he was serving God and loving God because God said he was, you know, he's blameless. He's a righteous guy. And Job, or, uh, the devil said, oh, that's just because you bless him. If you don't bless him, forget it. He'll turn your back on you in a second. And sure enough, uh, you know, the, all the blessings were taken away literally to a huge degree as the devil is destructive. And, and uh, when that didn't work, you know, the accusation came, well, if you skin for skin, if you really affect him physically, he'll bail out on you. And of course, that didn't happen either. And then the story kind of gives us what's going on with Job. Remember, his three friends made long trips to be with him. They were so overwhelmed with the condition of Job when they saw him, they couldn't recognize him. They're like, is that Job? No, that can't be Job. Is that Job? That's how bad he looked. Even in a short period of time, since all this calamity had befell him since uh, what the devil did, and it was so bad that they just sat with him for seven days before Job actually spoke. And now we've been kind of seeing what Job said and his friends would respond uh, to what he said. And then Job would respond to what they said. And then another friend, 
you know, spoke responding to what Job said, and Job responded to him. And then, of course, the last chapter was kind of a, a response or a plea to God as well. And then now in chapter 11, the final friend that's, that's named, we know there's another man who's going to speak later on in the book, but the last one that's named of the three friends, which is Zophar, um, which means so good, he is now going to speak. And then it'll go round robin again. Then they'll speak again, each one of them. And then, you know, that friend will eventually, or the, the fourth unnamed man will, uh, un, unnamed at this point at least, will come in and he'll say something. And then Lord's going to interrupt in chapter 38 and make it all clear there. So um, we are finishing up that first round, if you would. Now, this guy Zophar, um, you know, really is going to talk directly to Job and really going to accuse him far more than the others. Um, and it, it just seems like, you know, he has lost sight as well as the others of how horrible Job has it, how terrible it was. They seem to be more upset, you know, at Job not accurately reflecting the nature of God or the person of God or how they know he works and what his standing firm on being you know, righteous and doing what's right. Hey, it's not that I'm sinless, Job would say, but you know, I, I don't have the secret life of sin that you guys are accusing me of. I'm not doing all this thing behind everybody's back. You know, they were accusing, I, I am doing the right thing. And, and they were saying, there's no way this could happen if you're doing the, the right thing. And it just, they lost track of what was going on with Job and they just wanted to, you know, defend their viewpoint of God or even defend God in some sense. And it was, you know, completely wrong. And it completely, you know, was just being so hard on a guy that was dealing with so much. And we just can learn an important lesson to show mercy and grace, especially at those times. Um, but here we have what Zophar says. And, you know, if the pictures help you with, um, you know, giving some idea maybe what it looks like. But verse 1 says, Then Zophar the Nahanite answered and said, should not the multitude of your words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? So, you know, here is, again, you know, uh, Zophar kind of coming in guns blazing, right? You know, you're saying so much, Job, you're just pouring it out here and you need to be corrected. You know, basically saying Job's a big windbag, right? You know, why should we let you continue to talk, Job? You know, you're just rambling on and, you know, you're way off base here. And again, just think, imagine having this happen, you know, with a guy that has lost his 10 children. His wife has basically given up on him. And, you know, he is inflicted with this terrible... Uh, disease that we would call it today and it manifested itself like boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet but as we'll read through the book and kind of point out there was like about 12 other symptoms that came along with this that he talks about not being able to sleep and not being able to eat and all these things that happened because of what you know I would say a disease today and they just didn't take any of that in account and, um, you, you know, not looking at him and allowing him some room to just to blow off some steam and to get, 
you know, a little bit upset and go to down the road of why and why and why, you know, they just felt like they had to tell him why and, and correct him. And I, I don't imagine that it was all bad. They all had bad intents. I really don't believe that. Now, I think they got defensive and they had to defend their position. But I think, you know, in some way they, they just wanted to help Joe. But again, um, in the end, when the Lord speaks, he will tell Zophar specifically, you better have Job pray for you or you're going to be in big trouble. So the Lord kind of heard how, certainly heard, not kind of heard, how Zophar was treating Job. And he specifically calls him out at the end of the book, as we'll see. So it is pretty tough what he's going to say to him through the conversations that we'll read. Now he goes on in verse 4. He says, For you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. So here he says, Job, you keep going on about being innocent, but again, this is where their thinking was. You couldn't be in this situation if that were true. You wouldn't have lost your children. You wouldn't have lost all the money and the businesses you had. You wouldn't have lost your health and had this being on the outs with your wife. None of that would have happened um, if, if, if it wasn't for the Lord needing to correct you. Um, you. You couldn't be innocent. And then he says, oh, if only God would speak, then you would see how bad you really are, Job. And then he goes on to say, I mean, bad enough, he says, you're just getting a little bit of what you deserve. That's what he's saying here. And you're only getting a little bit of what you really deserve. Now, remember, the Lord called Job, you know, a blameless and a righteous man, really a man of great faith. And he's calling him just the opposite. And, you know, again, and he says, you're not getting what you really deserve, Job. But, you know, bringing that out, you know, the broader principle, you know, it's still true with us. We don't, we don't receive what we deserve you know god's so patient with us just you know speaking that in general you know we we deserve so much more and i was talking to oh ethan the other day and you know we were talking about you know consequences on stuff and doing you know certain things and and you know this happened as a result of this and not something he did but just a situation we were reading in the news and we were kind of talking about it and you know, and it was supposed to be a, a, you know, it was a Christian person and this was going on. And I said, well, you know, like we're studying through with Job, you never know what's really going on there. But I said, even if what we read about is true, you know, God is so merciful. He, he never, um, even if we, we reap what we sow and we did some things and now it's coming back, you know, on us. He never lets it come in full measure. You know, with his children, he is... So gracious and good, and, and really with everybody, but certainly with his children. And, um, you know, it always kind of floors me when people say, you know, and they probably said it to you, I don't know, dozens of times like with me, boy, I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to God about something, you know? 
And I have some questions for him. And, you know, I always kind of cringe at that, you know. I, I just can't wait to ask him some questions and why he did this and why he didn't do that. And I'm always thinking, man, you know, you, you got it all wrong. You're barking up the wrong tree. You know, the wages of sin is death. And all of us deserve death. And trust me, you don't want to get what you think you deserve. You want mercy. You know, like you were deprived something or you should have fixed this or didn't let that happen or something. And at the end of the day, you know, nobody wants what they deserve when they stand before God. We all want mercy. And, and you know, Jesus spent so much time talking about that too, didn't he? You know, he was saying, you know, the mercy that you want to receive should be the mercy that you show to others. So how much mercy do you want to receive from me? How much mercy do you want to receive from other people? Well, most of us, quite a bit, a lot. Well, then you need to give it out as well. You need to be a person of mercy. And of course, you remember he gave that, that parable about that story about, you know, the guy that, you know, owed a bunch of money and, and he called him to account and he said, there's no way I'm going to pay it. Well, you're going to work as a slave till you pay it off. I'm going to throw you in debtors. You know, it's going to be all this. And he threw himself on the mercy of the guy and the guy said, okay, you know what? Forget the debt. You know, it was, you know, a house-sized debt. You know, it was a lot, but you know what? I'm going to have mercy. And then, of course, he went out, remember, and he grabbed somebody that owed him 10 bucks from not paying a Starbucks bill or something when he was out with him, wringing his neck. Hey, you're going to pay. You're going to pay this whole thing. And of course, the guy, the king, uh, heard word of that and said, you know what? Look how much mercy you were shown. And, and, and you'd only had to show a little bit of mercy and you didn't do that. Well, now all that lack of mercy is going to come back on you. And so, again, it's just important that we continue to always show mercy because the mercy we show will be given back to us. And, and, and again here, you know, Zophar has a little bit of understanding of that, but he's completely on the wrong track because it wasn't that case with Job. He, you know, he wasn't sinning as he was being accused. Well, then he goes in verse 7, Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And if he passes by in prisons and gathers judgment, well, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not consider it? You know, now he goes on, you know, we, you know how, how do we know the ways of God? You know, we can know him by his majesty and power and, and, and everything like that. You know, we can see him doing all that. You can see the creative power and, and, and uh, you know, who he is, the almighty in that way. We can know that. I mean, even these guys had a sense of, of that, you know, the great wisdom and insight and marvelous, you know, perfection and beauty and creative power and all those things that makes, you know, uh, you know, our Heavenly Father Almighty. 
And it always amazes me, I don't know about you, but every once in a while you run into those THDs, you know, those doctors of, of theology and those people that are, you know, supposedly very well versed in, in Christianity and, and those kind of things. And, and, you know, they'll go through and say, well, Jesus didn't really say this. And, you know, based on what we see, this isn't true in the Bible and this is true, this isn't true. Like, all of a sudden, they're the great authority and they put themselves up as, you know, the editor of God's word and what they say because of their intelligence and their studying and all that, they're, you know, they're way up here and, and they just basically shrink the, the almighty down into a small piece that, that they, you know, are on par with in some way. I, I had a, a teacher in school that we did once in an Old Testament class and you know, that guy was the same way. You know, I spent four years learning Hebrew and three years learning Greek. And, you know, he had his THD, his doctor of theology and, you know, going on and on about, you know, when he said something, he was telling you, you know, his word is above everything. Don't, 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 don't believe the Bible, you know, believe what I have to tell you because I really know what it says and I can tell you where it's wrong and where it's right. And boy, that, I don't know, that chaps my hide. I'm sure it does you guys too. You know, it isn't just there, they'll say. Jesus isn't like that. God, you know, didn't create the world. Although there was two Isaiahs, that's why their prophecy is so accurate. You know, uh, it's just sad that even as far off as these guys were about the nature of God, you know, they understood the power and awesomeness of God that so many liberal theologians have completely lost today, sadly. Um, but, you know, he, he, these, these guys understood that at least. Well, verse 12 says, For an empty-headed man will, ro- uh, will be wise, when a wild donkey's colt is born a man, <laughs> you gotta love that, right? You, you know, you're you're pretty dumb, pretty empty-headed, and you know you'll be smart when when a you know a donkey gives birth to a person. <laughs> like it'll never happen, right? It's kind of comical, really. And if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand. And you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you would be steadfast and not fear, because you would forget your misery and remember it as water that has passed, that have passed away. And your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning, and you would be secure because there is uh, hope. Yes, you would dig uh, around you and take your rest safe, uh, in safety. You would lie, uh, also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor. So again, he says, you know, you got it so wrong. You're like this empty-headed guy. And the only way you're thinking is going to be right is when a wild donkey can give birth to a person. And he goes on to say... Here's the solution. If you would only repent, if you would only let go of all your sins, then you would be great. And you could put all this behind you. You wouldn't be having all these tragedies take place. Again, guys, we need one thing you need to walk away 
from the study of Job, and remember this, you know, is very important, is, you know, bad things happen, that we would say bad things happen to good people, isn't, you know, a result of, always a result of sin. You know, they got backed into a corner, God blesses you, and, you know, if things are going good, God's blessing you because you're good. If things are going wrong and bad, it's because you're being judged because of your sin. And there are people that think that way today. You know, the people that don't know the Lord, what do they do when they go past, you know, uh, St. Pax down the street, right? They go by and go like this, right? Not that they're all this way. I'm, I'm just generalizing, okay? You know, and do this. And, uh, you know, they'll put a, a you know, uh, an icon on their dashboard or have something around their neck. And it, it really becomes, for a lot of people, a, a good luck charm, you know. That way, uh, you know, I, I got enough good in there so, you know, the lightning bolts won't hit me and I won't get zapped and all that kind of nonsense, right? And um, so, you know, they, they lose track of, you know, who God is really, who, who He really is. And we just need to remember that, you know, even though people think that today, oh, you must have done something bad, that's the important lesson is that's not always the case in Scripture. It, it could be any number of things. And, of course, there's many examples of that in Scripture of horrible things happening to what we'd say good, godly people and because God has a purpose and a reason behind that. And we can't just jump to conclusions ever. Well, let's finish this chapter here. And it says, But the eyes of the wicked will fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope, loss of life. In other words, the wicked, man, they're going to get what's coming to them, and they're going to pay the big price in the end. But you remember last week when we read Psalm um, 73? I'll put it up here. I know it's a long, uh, you know, a lot to read. But you know what he says here, you know, he, this, the psalmist, uh, Asaph was credited for the psalmist. He goes, you know, talking about the wicked, they have no struggles. Their health is, they're free from burdens. They're not plagued by human arms. They have pride. They scoff and speak with malice. Uh, you know, people flock to them. And again, uh, you know, God can't do anything. He's not going to really care about what I'm doing. And then look at the last line there, if, if you would. He said, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocent. And the psalmist was just saying, you know what? I see these guys and they're blessed. They don't have any trouble. They don't have any difficulty. Everything seems to work out for them. And here I am trying to serve you and love you and live for you, God. And I'm having problems and difficulties and heartache one after another. So... I should just give it all up because look what's happening with them. And then he goes on to say, um, you know what? Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. You know, then I saw they're on slippery ground, how they're going to come to ruin. They're going to be destroyed. You know, and, and again, at the very end there, he says, you know, um, you know, you guide me and counsel me, and afterward you take me up into glory, and whom I have in heaven but you. And the earth has nothing I desire but you. And, and again, but as for me, it is good to be near God. 
you know, he understood that at the end. He saw them prospering and it was just overwhelming to him. And he thought maybe I, you know, I should just quit. Then I'll have it good. But when he went in and spent time with God, he realized that though they seem to be blessed and everything is going to be going right, they're on a slippery slope and eventually it's going to catch up with them. You know, you think about all those people, you know, that are making millions and now billions and have so much and they're successful and their lives are just evil. You know, I think of a lot of the entertainment industry, whether it's music or film or television or YouTube, you know, all these media people now and, you know, the stuff. And you think, man, you know, here I am having a hard time paying the rent every month and paying, you know, the car payment or something. You think... And these guys got millions and, you know, here I am trying to do the right thing. Well, continue to do the right thing. In the end, you will find out that doing the right thing is always the best way to go. And yeah, there's going to be heartaches and difficulties, but as the psalmist here realized, to me, it's, it's good for me to be near you, Lord. That's what's important. Okay, now chapter 12 and... Job is going to answer Zophar, you know, verse 1. And Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> I love that. I know you guys know everything, and you guys have all the answers. But he says, But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? You know, I know what you know. Everybody understands what you're saying, and I, I get that. Again, we always have to be careful uh, not to use worldly wisdom in discerning spiritual things. Remember that, so very important. We can't use worldly wisdom to discern spiritual things. Spiritual things and even worldly things need to be discerned or understood or filtered through you know, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and the things of God, or, or else you'll come to wrong conclusions. And, and again, um, and I think one of the greatest lessons from this story is I imagine that Job thought a lot like these guys. I imagine until this happened to Job, he probably had a lot of similar thinking to these guys. You remember when he was his children would go off and they... They would have their parties and so forth, and he would offer sacrifices just in case something they did something they shouldn't have done and kind of covered them. And you know, I, I you know I think you know he had that same kind of sense that they did, at least to a certain degree. But he and they and us will learn something very important about bad things happening. And of course, you know, that's one of the great revelations of this book, you know, and the great thing that we have, even the greater thing I should say, is what we know from after the resurrection of Jesus, right? We know what we have. We know there's going to be difficulties. And Jesus said, you know, you are going to be persecuted. We know that throughout the New Testament, it says it very clear. But the bottom line is that you know, we have this great hope as well. We have this great peace and strength through trials. And I'll put Colossians, you know, 3.15, you know, says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So, you know, we can let through those difficult times and through those heartaches, we can let the peace of Christ, you know, in our hearts. We can have that because we have his presence and his love with us. And then, you know, Philippians is, um, is going to say something very similar. And it says, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And so, again, here he is, you know, uh, they're kind of stuck, but look what we have. Through these difficulties, we can have peace. We can go to our Heavenly Father. We know that He's with us. We know that He loves us. And when things go bad, you know, what we know we have is peace and His presence with us. And so, whether and when we go through them, you know, we really, truly have this anchor of hope to hold on to. Well, verse 4 says, I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him. The just and the blameless who is ridiculed, a lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. Again, I think this is one of those, one of those great things that we need to understand for here. Um, life is good when you don't have many questions, but when life is bad, we don't have many answers, right? When life is good, we don't have many questions, but when life is bad, we don't have many answers. And what Job is saying is you guys are at ease. Everything is going well with you. You can leave today and go home and be with your family and your children. I don't have that anymore. You can go to the store and, and, and buy your Starbucks coffee and, and get an extra shot and pay, you know, the $10 for your foo-foo drink. You know, I, I got to drink water from a, a stream because I, I don't have two quarters to rub together. I don't have a, you know, a, a dollar in my wallet. And, and you guys, you know, are at ease. And here I am struggling in every area so it's easy for you to nitpick and call out and say and accuse and all this stuff. Again, that's just so important. You know, we need to remember the blessings that we have. Again, that's part of showing mercy. You know, wow, Lord, I am thankful that I don't have to or I'm not, you know, and then we can show empathy and, and sympathy and love and patience with people that are struggling. You know, but when we think, well, you know, I got a good and they, they got a bad and I don't know, that's on them for whatever reason. Not showing mercy at all. And then Job's going to say, hey, and, and besides this, I have questions that you guys haven't even thought of. How about this? The tents of robbers prosper and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, Oh, speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain it to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? <laughs> so, you know, he says, well, wait a minute. You guys have this theology that this is what's going on. Well, how about the guy that's stealing stuff from people and is successful at it, right? 
You, you know, people who are robbing and stealing or taking advantage of others and they're making money and they're doing good. As a matter of fact, they're doing really good because of it. And he says, how about those guys that aren't receiving immediate consequences for the evil that they do? You guys haven't addressed that, talked about that. What about them? You know, and then he kind of mocks them a little bit. Even the, the animals know this and the birds know this and the fish and the earth, right? That they're getting away with it. What about them? And verse 10, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? So he said, you know, they get away with it. What about them? How do you explain them? How do you explain they're doing okay? And then he goes back and says, you know what? I know that every living thing, uh, you know, he holds the breath of every living creature on earth. And, you know, uh, in other words, he's involved. He knows, he sees every creature from animals and, I don't know, uh, you know, to, to people and all that kind of stuff. He holds their breath. I, um, we had, I have a great brother back at the church I came from and, uh, you know, as an elder and he's just a great guy. And I remember, you know, when we have board meetings and elder meetings and stuff, he, you know, one of his prayers always would be, uh, you know, he would talk in his strong accent and he would, you know, talk about, uh, Father, you you know you have uh, who holds our very breath in our hands, and who you know who keeps our heart beating. You know, I always used to love you know that when he would pray that because it's just you know it 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 holds it up close and personal how active and how involved our heavenly Father is in the lives of everything and everyone, and of course particularly us. You know, the doctors will say we have voluntary muscles and involuntary muscles, right? Invol uh, voluntary muscles are, okay, I want to take a baseball and I want to throw it. You know, I want to swim. I kick my legs. I move my arms. I rotate my body and my head. And I want to ride a motorcycle, right, Marty? I turn the gas. I shift the clutch. I, my feet and my hands and my eyes are going, right? So we have control over all those voluntary muscles. But then there's those involuntary muscles, the ones that happen whether we're thinking about them or not, like your heart beating or breathing, right? Imagine if you had to worry about breathing all the time, you would never go to sleep because then I'll forget to breathe, right? <laughs> or your heart, okay, beat, beat, beat. You know, obviously, those are going on. And, and the Lord puts those involuntary muscles or organs under His control. Isn't that cool to think about? He puts those things in His control when they happen and when they don't happen. You know, and when people put God as something far off, maybe at best, and maybe unconcerned and you know, remote and not involved, uh, you, know, you can show them how wrong they can be. The very beat of our heart is in His hands. Your very beat of the 
of your heart is in His hand. The next breath you take is in the Lord's hands. And, and that's how much He controls. Of course, Job is saying that, that He's in control of everybody, even though the robber and thieves. In other words, He knows what's going on. And then He says in verse 11, Does not the ear test words and the mouth taste food? Wisdom is with aged men and the length of days understanding. And then he uh, says this, um, With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, now there is, uh, can be no release. If he withholds the waters, then uh, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered. He makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their wrists with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the sermon of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of the darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. And then verse 23 says, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges them and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of earth and makes them wander in pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. And that was very colorful and very a wonderful way of stating how God is in control of everything and everyone. Reminding us, as Job just did, that leaders of governments on this earth, kings, rulers, this and that, come and go. But God is always the king of kings. He is in complete and absolute control. You know, that's such a good thing uh, for us to uh, think about and ponder on and reflect upon uh, especially when we see what's going on in this country today and particularly in our state of California and particularly in, in the Bay Area, the Central Coast here of uh, the politics. It's, um, I, you know, I don't know if you follow California, you know, government and laws. Of course, I have to because of work and see the laws that pass and all these kind of things. But used to see all the bills, uh, laws that, that our governor is signed. I mean, the craziest, uh, you know, just ungodly and destructive things that, you know, we know are just gonna bring down the house at some point. And, and, and those others that are gonna cost us in, in a sense uh, financially and all those kind of things. And, and you get so discouraged and how wrong is held up as right and right is her, held up as uh, you know, completely wrong. As a matter of fact, right now is held up as being a uh, bias and you are, you know, you are, uh, you know, uh, uh, every kind of name in the book because you don't hold up the wrong things and evil. You know, you're, you're, you're called all sorts of names and accused of all sorts of things 
because of that. And then, of course, we have, you know, our local leaders and mayors and supervisors that, you know, push their agenda, uh, you know, um, of evil things. You know, uh, we were reading in the paper again, uh, Ethan and I were, were looking at some stories and, you know, this coming out day for the homosexuals is coming up or just happened. I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, but then I was telling about the stories of our own little high school or not so little, but our high school right down the street from uh, where we live, uh, you know, PV High, you know, the, 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 the principal and those that are, you know, uh, uh, over administration, over the school and how they... Um, you know, make that such a big deal at, at Praha Valley High. I mean, they might do it other places, but that one, you know, they, they, all the school, you know, there's no classes and they bring everybody out and they make a very, you know, great banner, you know, and a, and a thing that you proceed through, you know, like you're going on stage or something. And they make such a huge deal of this. And, uh, you know, we just shake our head and say, man, how could... Those poor kids that are being, you know, led astray and confused or others just having the apathy of it. Oh, well, that's just the way people are. Um, you know, God's in control and that's, you know, going to come to an end. He's going to see that. And in the end, of course, we know there's a price to be paid for that. But in the interim, you know, we trust that he knows and sees and controls all and he's going to work everything out according to his will and his plan. And we can have peace and comfort in knowing that fact. Amen. Well, chapter 13 says, as Job continues, Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. In other words, again, I, I don't, you don't need to tell me all this. I've heard this, all these reasons before. I know this. You know, I know what's going on. And, and this is a good reminder for us as well that we don't get stuck in our ways. Don't get stuck in thinking you got the Lord all figured out and this is how this works and this is how this works and this is what's going on here. And, and you know, we, as we get older or we walk with the Lord for a period of time, you know, we can get stuck in our ways and we need to be careful that we don't do that because, you know, our Heavenly Father is so much more and wants to do so much more, and we don't ever want to, you know, have it all packaged in a nice box, and that's where we put, you know, our Heavenly Father, when He is so much greater than anything can contain, and we need to be open to that. These guys were stuck in that, and even Joe probably to a certain degree was stuck in that uh, as well. Uh, but we need to be open. Don't get stuck and think we know and have it figured out, because we don't. He's infinite. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, <laughs> you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning and heed the pleads of my, leap, of my lips. I'm sorry. I don't want to talk to you. If only I could talk to God himself and tell him how I feel. You guys are like a bunch of bad doctors. It would just be better if you were quiet. Better if you keep quiet uh, than, you know, uh, speak out these foolish things. I like that analogy of a bad doctor. You know, having a bad doctor is worse than having no doctor, right? Giving you wrong advice. Boy, 
um, you know, Annabelle has some family down in Mexico, and, and of course not being there, not knowing everything, but sometimes I see, boy, you know, going to the doctor, uh, it was the worst thing. They're actually giving them wrong advice and bad things and things that are just not good, and at least from my perspective, of course, and from what I've heard. And I think, man, it'd just be better if you didn't even go there. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what Job's seeing here. And he says, verse 7, you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him. So basically he's saying you are misrepresenting God. You're speaking lies in his name. That's a pretty heavy accusation, isn't it? But doesn't it happen today? You know, there's a segment in what we would call the larger body of Christ that's doing the same thing, right? Particularly those guys that are, you know, not as big as it once was, at least far as I can tell. You know, the word of faith, you know, you speak it in faith, it'll come true. And if you say you have a cold or a flu, you're not talking in faith. And, and, and because you're not talking in faith, that means it's going to happen to you. And boy, talk about speaking, misrepresenting God, you know, or, or people that say, thus says the Lord, you need to do this or that. I know it's best. I have this bet direct connection to God and let me tell you, thus says the Lord, you know, I have the gift of prophecy or this or that and, you know, end up speaking things uh, and misrepresenting God. Um, boy, those people are going to have a tough day one day standing before God. And he accuses these guys of that, which, of course, our Heavenly Father will later on in the book as well. Verse 8 says, will you show partially parti partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he searches you out? Or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Basically, he says, how about your life so far? Can you stand, you know, you got all this big righteous thing and you're doing wrong. And if you're just right, all this good will happen. Can you stand righteously before God? You, you know, would... Wouldn't he correct you of your thinking and of your sins, you know, and you being hard on others? You know, how would you stack up? You know, you like to point the finger, but as uh, was it one of the preachers used to say, when you're pointing a finger at somebody, three are pointing back at you, <laughs> right? And there's some good, you know, analogy to that, right? You know, you, you just don't want to have that heart. We don't ever want to. We don't want to be hypocritical in our judgment or opinion of others. You know, we don't want to, oh, that's bad and that's not good. And yet we do the same thing or similar things. And yet we're quick to point the finger when remember three are pointing back. Verse 13, you hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You know, this is like the uh, um, Job, you know, reaches up from this cesspool of horrible and terrible things going on and, and you know, just lifts up this great statement of faith in the midst of all this. 
And he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's kind of what he said to his wife when she said, all this is going on with you, curse God and die. And he said, well, we, we welcome when God does good, and when good doesn't come, shouldn't we just be equally as welcome? And here he's saying the same thing. I like that. Verse 15 is a, you know, a very great verse here where he really pokes his head out of the depths here. And, uh, you know, in great difficulty and in pain, Job has this great statement of faith and strength. Lord, my life is, is yours and you can do with it what you like. I think that's, we all have to be able to say that honestly and truly in our lives. I think it's so important to have a deep and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to be able to say that. My relationship with you, Lord, is not based on my circumstances. We all need to know that that's true. My life with you and my love for you is not based on the circumstances. In other words, when things are going good, we're having a great time. When things are going bad, I want nothing to do with you, Lord. It can't be that way. My life is yours and you can do with it as you like. Important as believers, we need to remember this. Well, verse 17 says, Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now I have prepared my case, and I know what, uh, that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If I now hold my tongue, I perish. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not the dread of you make me afraid. And so here again, the Lord, you know, Job is speaking to the Lord, you know, and he's still talking about his in innocence here. And he just doesn't understand what caused all this. And he asked the Lord for a break. Lord, could you stop the pain for a while? Can you stop me being afraid of you uh, uh, for a little while? And he says, then call and I will answer. Or let me speak and then I will uh, you respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me, know, make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you, fright, uh, will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? Will you pursue uh, dry stubble? Will you write uh, bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth? You put my feet in stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for my, the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotting thing, like garments that is, like a garment that is moth-eaten. So Job kind of calls out to the Lord here. He says, I'm like, a, I'm like a dry blowing leaf. I'm nothing. I'm not worth pursuing, Lord. And it, was it something that I did when I was young? Was it something I forgot about that I did? Is that why this is happening? And again, there's many things we wish we didn't get involved in or do or say or should have done we didn't do when we're younger. And, you know, we can look back with great regret in that way. And Job's doing that. But then he, gets, he says, you know, I feel like a guy locked up in stocks. You know, I'm 
bound here and I'm bound there. And so he finishes up this in verse 1 of chapter 14. Man who is born of woman is few day is a few days and full of trouble. He is like uh, he comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And you do not open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. He says life goes by so quickly, like like a flower that blooms. You know, I, I have all these, we have these flowers planted around our house and you know, now it's getting cold and they're all pretty much starting to die off here. And he said, that's what life's like. It's blooming one minute and it's dying off the next, like a vapor. Uh, and again, um, the New Testament talks about this. You know, life goes by so quickly and only what we do for the Lord is what lasts. That's why it's always important to have such a light touch on this world. You know, God's in charge of our lives. He knows the day and the hours uh, you know, from the beginning to end, and again, uh, you know, he holds our breath in his hands. Job understood that. Well, let's finish up this chapter, verse 6. Look away from him that he may rest, till like a hired man he finishes day. For there is hope for a tree if it's cut down, it'll sprout again, and its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet the scent of water, it will bud forth in branches like a plant. But man dies and is uh, laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? As water is dispersed from the sea and river becomes parched and dries up, so man lays down and does not rise up. Till the heavens are no more, they will not awake nor be aroused from their sleep and job understands once our lives are over they're over it's not like a tree that you cut it down and then sometimes a stump start growing little branches and stuff and start out again no you know hebrews 9 20 uh 10 27 um you know is the wrong verse i wanted to put up uh hebrews why did i put that up there um i'm a little ahead uh, 9.27, I'm sorry. It is appointed men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, sorry, <laughs> I put 10. But yeah, it's appointed under men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Uh, and again, it's not the end of things, as Job is kind of saying here, but it is the end of the earthly life of a person. And again, um, uh, you know, the Lord knows our steps. He knows what's going on. Verse 16, For you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag. You cover my iniquity. But as a mountain falls and crumbles away, as a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones, as torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him and he passes on you. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. But 
His flesh will be in pain over, and his own soul will mourn over it. Now here Job is sinking as we finish up here to the really low points here. You know, Lord, you, you watch over my sin, you know my sin, and, and it's just, you know, at the end, that's it. You all go down and you're sinking here. Um, you know, uh, it's just wrinkled up. Uh, you know, like we get old, um, you know, uh, we grow old, the memory fades, um, we experience physical pain and emotional uh, emotionality because our life was tough and it all takes a toll and all that stuff that's going on. Um, yes, that's uh, very true. But, you know, Job says here, you, Lord, you're collecting my sin and putting it in a bag. You're collecting my sin and putting it in a bag. And that's why, you know, at the end, all this is so overwhelming for me because all the sins I've committed, you know, you're storing away, and now all of a sudden, you know, you open the bag and they're all coming up. But that is completely the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And I'll put now up here, Hebrews 10, 17 says, you know, their sins and lawless acts will re I will remember no more. Speaking about the sins of people, this is the heart of God, not wanting to remember those things. And then Micah 7, 19 says this, you will again have compassion on us. You will tre tre tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And so again, you know, hear the promises of God doing away with our sins, uh, not being there anymore. Not like what Job says, you're not collecting them in the bag. As a matter of fact, one day, you know, when we give our lives to Jesus, all those sins, past, present, and future, get thrown away. Just, not, just the opposite of what Job's saying here. They're not collected. He gets rid of them. And, and Psalm um, 103.12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So as the east and the west never meet, that's what he does. He remembers them no more. You know, um, again, you know, I use this illustration. You know, if Marty were to come up here and throw a cup of cold water in my face, uh, you know, right now, I, I might forgive him, but it'd be hard to ever forget that, right? But yet God, he has the ability to forgive and to forget. And that's what he says he'll do with our sins as we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Not collect them. As a matter of fact, get rid of them. And um, they're only collected in a bag uh, into the sea of God's forgetfulness. In the deepest place imaginable, right? He gets rid of them all. And what a great blessing that is to remember. He's not storing them up to use them for us as his children. No, because Jesus paid the price for those sins. And now he is going to bury them beyond recovery. And uh, thank the Lord for that. Amen? Well, let's, we'll finish here and then we'll pick it up with uh, the next round of talking uh, next time here. Eliaphaz will come back on the scene here. Father, again, we do thank you for this time, Lord. And, and uh, Lord, you, you, know, you just record what they say, uh, the good and, and the bad, the wrong and, and the right. It's just recorded before us, Lord. And it just, 
again, reminds me that it is your word. You don't hold back and, and, you know, if a person was writing this, they would definitely edit out the wrong parts and the bad parts and the question parts and the why parts and all these kind of things. You just tell us how it is and then you, you make it all straight. And, and then you come around and you make this, you know, all clear to all those that are there and all of us that are listening over the ages. And um, that's who you are. And so we thank you again for uh, preserving these important things, important stories for us that we might, again, grow closer and deeper and, and more in love with you, Father. And we pray that you would bless them to our hearts and to our lives, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, may the Lord bless you guys.